The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at McCarthy 74 on this week's show, VIP guests Neva Vaughan, Captain Una Tuig and manager Noel McDonough look ahead to the Ballivorney Club's Munster LGFA Junior A final against Ula of Limerick this weekend. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran returns to review the final round of the regular AFLW season and preview this season's AFLW finals plus the latest AFLW Ireland Irish player of the season standings. EchoLive.ie and Echo columnist Linda Mellerick joins me to review a magnificent SE Systems Cork Camogie Senior County Final between Shandoon and Stars. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan is on the show to talk women's AIL, Munster Women's Senior, Under 18, Under 16 and Under 14. Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie returns to the Big Red Bench to review a lacklustre Mexican GP in which Max Verstappen and Red Bull's off-track issues took all the headlines. And finally, Munster Hockey Piero Graham Catchball is back on the bench to bring us all the latest news from the Munster Women's Club and Interpro Hockey scene. That's all to come on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Ballivorney Club Neva Bond go in search of provincial glory in this weekend's Munster LGFA Junior A final against Limerick opponents Ula in Mallow on Saturday. I caught up with Neva Bond captain Una Tuig and manager Noel McDonough ahead of the Cork Junior A County Champions Munster final appearance against their Limerick opponents. Here's what the Neva Bond captain had to say to the Big Red Bench and her manager ahead of this weekend's Munster final. On the Big Red Bench now, ahead of this weekend's Munster Junior A LGFA final between Limerick champions Ula and Cork champions Neva Bond, we're delighted to be joined by the Neva Bond captain Una Tuig. Una, how are you? How are you getting on? I'm getting on very well. Uh, this is a very good time to be a member of the Neva Bond team and club because you have already annexed this year's Cork Junior A county title, which was a fantastic achievement. Uh, you're up to the intermediate grade for 2023 and you've come through two tough tests in Munster to reach a Munster final. First of all, um, how are th- preparations going ahead of Saturday's game against Ula and what's the vibe and the feeling like in the camp? Preparations are good now. Um, we've kind of pushed on training right last week just to kind of, let's say, when you have a two-week break between games, kind of gives us the best to recover from the previous game, but also kind of push on and push ourselves more for the next game. So last week now training was very well for the wet conditions, which are, it might be raining on Saturday, so it makes the best for it. Um, but yeah, vibe is good in uh, camp. I don't like no injuries or anything, so I say we're, we're going into this in pretty good shape. So happy enough with that now, yeah. Yes, you are going in pretty good shape. Not alone if you come through Cork, uh, the Cork County Championship, as we said, to become Junior A champions, you beat Mike Harkey Boris and then beat Comer Rangers. Um, you know, in in a in a rearranged venue and place that, to to get to that venue and to to make it to complete that semi final. Um, over Comer, you won two ten to not six. Um, does the fact that you've been kind of on the road a bit, and also the fact that with as Noel, your manager has already told me, when you don't know much about your opposition, does that kind of help you as a team, and that you've got to focus on yourselves? I think so. Like it, it's a different ball game when you get out of the county because obviously you play the Cork team every year in and out, so you know like the back doors. But um, when you get out out into Munster, you only hear dribs and drabs of people that know someone on the team that know how good they are. So it's kind of no, no, isn't good now that he's you know he gives us one or two points and then we forget about it and we focus on our game plan and like we know how good we're able to play. So it's just once we execute our game plan we know we, we, you know we're a good top team 
Yeah, and this team has been together quite a while, uh, Una. I mean, there's a lot of young players on this Naval One team, but the core of the team and the depth of the squad, um, you know, you've been building slowly over the last couple of years. The success has come now. Um, obviously, you'd love to win a Munster Championship, but looking ahead, irrespective of how this game goes on Saturday against the Limerick champions, Ula, I mean, the, the future does look very bright for this team, and I would imagine there's a lot of excitement already looking ahead to next year's Intermediate Club Championship here in Cork. Ah, uh, exactly. Like, the talent on the team for Munster City is nothing short, short of extraordinary like from our minors getting off to winning starts back in December and it was our t- under 21s and it was in April that won their county as well so like they've set us up for a very good championship season to begin with and in the fact that we won the county in such a great way it's you know it's just the momentum keeps building and building and like as you said our team is young but they're they're growing in experience every game so like Every month again that we play now is showing off, and then that they're coming up, stepping up that extra level. You know, they're being more vocal on the pitch, they're, they're calming down on plays. Um, and being up intermediate next year, we're like, we're intermediate for the league, so we kind of have a bit of an understanding of the, the roughness, not the roughness, but the, the physicality of intermediate and everything else. So it won't be strange territory for us, but obviously it'll be a different ballgame come championship to league. But um, yeah, no, we're excited for the challenge, right? And, I know players and girls that they step up no bother to it. Yes, because you have experience of playing in a county final already this year against Skib and you were very impressive in winning that Junior A county final. Obviously, this is a different time of the year. Obviously, the conditions are probably going to be very different to that lovely warm day we had in MTU when you did beat O'Donovan <laughs> Rasa. But the fact that you're coming up against an Ula team who you may not know an awful lot about but have been scoring pretty freely um, and have not lost a game this year. Like It's the same as yourselves. You haven't died when it comes to championship. This is going to be a real battle, but do you think you'd be able to take much from the experience and the confidence gained of coming through the Cork Junior A Championship and winning it, or is this just a one-off, completely different ball game on, at the weekend? Um, I wouldn't say it's a one-off. Like Obviously, we've watched the Oonels in the final there, and they're a very similar team to us and how they play and stuff like that. So, like I think the... The championship games between Donnie's and O'Donovan Rosses would probably sense us of we have to search for something deep inside us to kind of push through to the final bit. But like, you know, I'd say the weather isn't great. So come Saturday, you know, it could be just a game for the backs and whoever gets the breaking balls, that could be the deciding of the game. But like, I have confidence in the girls. Yes, Ula are very good and they're very similar to us. But it's just the fact that we've that much experience of um, winning this year that think when a push comes to shove in the last 15 minutes the girls will settle and then that's when we'll show kind of our true potential of that we're able to can, can the game down and you know, just press on then Yes and just finally the effect that this is having on the underage section of your club I mean Neville Bond have always pr- uh, produced very very tough com- uh, competitive um, ladies football teams in the past at, at various underage grades but when the younger girls looking at you Una um, winning uh, a county title and now going far in Munster like what effect it's obviously going to have a hugely positive effect but it's very important that the younger girls and everybody that comes out to support you at the weekend you know they can see that you know ladies football is on the rise not just in your own area where you're from down Balavorny direction but throughout the county um, it must be lovely for them and for all those young players to see uh, doing so well Oh, it's absolutely smashing. It was only, I think it was only two weeks ago there that our under sixes, eights and tens finished up. So some of the junior team went down with the cup and stuff to take pictures with them. And, you know, just, just the buzz around of that. I've been so excited asking questions, you know, figuring out how long we're playing and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's, 
it's great to see that it's coming back into the club again and that the numbers are strong. I think there was 34 there for that night. So, like, there's no fear of girls coming up. And, um, they, yeah, no, they're, they're really excited about it. And, you know, it's great to see it because, like, let's say when you're training with the junior team and, you know, you don't really see so much going on when you get back into the pitches in and you see the underage training and everything else like that. Just the buzz around it is just something else. Indeed it is and the buzz will be at an all-time high this Saturday in Mallow at 5 o'clock the Munster LGFA Junior A final for 2022 Limerick Champions Ula going toe-to-toe with the Cork Champions Neva Vaughan Captain Una Tuig, all the best from everybody here in the Big Red Bench we wish you all the best on that and hopefully we're celebrating come the weekend I hope so too thank you very much Jer. Now on Saturday in Mallow at 5 o'clock the Munster Junior A LGFA final takes place between Ula of County Limerick and the Cork champions of this season, Neva Vaughan. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by their manager, Noel McDonough. Noel, you're very welcome to the Big Red Bench. How are you? Thank you, sir. Very well, thank you. Very well. It's been a very, very positive season, to put it mildly, for Neva Vaughan. You've come through uh, the Cork County Championship, beating O'Donovan Rossa in this year's Cork LGFA Junior A final. You've since managed to get through to a Munster decider. Um, a lovely boost for you, for the club, for the backroom team. How are preparations going ahead of this weekend's Munster final? I suppose really, um, since we've beaten Cumra in, in the second round of the, of the Munster, you know, we've been... Uh, pulling back to a small bit, you know, the games are coming thick and fast at the moment, and uh, it's all about having everyone fit at this stage. Fit and everything's fine, injury free, we're looking good on, on that front. So um, it's only all all ready for Saturday evening in Mallow at 5 o'clock, and hopefully we'll be and then be more champion after after league. But we know we're going to have a business there one day or another. Yeah, I mean, looking at your scores and looking at your performances this season, obviously you came through a tough match against Comera Rangers, as you said, winning 210 to 06, but Ula put up 410. So, I mean, we're talking about two teams here packed with attacking talent. You're expecting a tight, tough game or an open, attractive game, or are you just going to have to wait and see on Saturday? Um, well, you know, I suppose really, the, the beauty of in, in the Munster, we've never come across these teams before. We're in the local championship. We've been seeing the, the likes of Zanis and Cabrini over the last number of years. Ula are they're strange to us, we're strange to them. So we'll all be going to the game with Apple. And uh, I presume that we'll be slightly uh, <clears throat> up the opposition early on. And uh, as the game opens up, you know, we'd, we'd hope to, to, to get into the game pretty quickly, like we did against Cabrini in, in, in the conference final. And but Ula have a, a pretty good football line. They have a NOD and a Medicaid inside the football line, you know, which would be. Pretty formal opposition there, the both on the, on the Limerick Senior Palace. So, um, obviously, we need to, to have a plan around and curtail their, their um, ability inside the forward line. But, you know, we'll, we'll continue to do what we're doing. We, we open up uh, pretty quickly in, in the county final. And we look to do that again on, in the month of final, you know. And uh, as I say, it's, uh, it's going to be a 50 50 game. And weather conditions don't look like they're going to be the best for the game. But, you know, that's be the safer both teams on the night, you know. So, hopefully. As I say, we'll come out on top, but uh, it'll, be, it'll be a good battle. Yes, it certainly should be. And as you said, both unbeaten teams and Ula bring a lot of uh, pedigree. They're going to be playing senior football, as, as you said, as well, in Limerick next year. 
could I ask you, Noel, is one of the strengths of this Neva Vaughan team from seeing them this year that there's no out-and-out one superstar on the team, um, but there is there are players that, you know, in different games have come to the fore. I'm thinking of Lydia McDonough, who got 2-5 against Comra, and then in the uh, in, in the final against O'Donovan Rossi, it was like a real team effort. Like, you know, you can't rely on one or two players anymore at this level, as you well know. And is that one of the strengths, that the depth of this Neva Vaughan team now, that a lot of the younger players seem to have matured this year, and you've come through a tough Junior A Championship to get to this point. Um, is that one of your strengths? Yeah, it probably is, I suppose. We are a big strength in, in the last uh, 12 months. We've, um, we were looking to win the other 3-1 B Championship. And uh, we actually beat Green in the final death. And that was in probably around March. And a few months before that, we came out, uh, we won the, the minor county B. So we've uh, a few trophies on girl belts already this year. And the year is, um, is going quite well. And I think that's probably been a big bonus is that uh, our underage players are coming through and are coming onto this junior team now. And they've performed really well, developed. And uh, they're not afraid of the big day anymore, you know. So, um, as I say, we've had we've had three finals under our belt, and heading to our fourth. So, uh, I think I think that's standing to a lot of players, and the fact that we've some great young players coming through, uh, and mixing that with the with the um, all the girls that have been in the, the team with the last five or six years, that's been a big benefit to the club, you know, and big benefit to the team. And I say it makes our job way easier that there's we have a, we have a good panel of players. And uh, they're spurring each other on to, to, to do well. So I think that's probably the big success of the of the team this year, you know. Yes, and uh, ahead of this Saturday's Munster LGFA final between Neva Vaughan, the Cork champions, and Limerick champions, Ula at five o'clock in Mallow. If you can get down there, certainly should go and see that. It's going to be a cracking game. Just finally, Noel, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of excitement around this team, um, a lot of talk and chatter, obviously, coming through winning a county this year. And as you said, your other successes and the other grades. How have preparations gone outside uh, in and around the area where you're based? I mean, I would imagine there's a lot of excitement and a lot of people looking forward to this. Oh, there's a course, you know, and it's been fabulous for the girls, you know, and we've been very lucky that um, the club has been fabulous for us, and we've some great sponsors on, on board that have, uh, have come behind the team, and it's been great for the girls, you know, and I will say, you know, we have a lot of girls in college in Limerick and across the country and inside Cork, and training is, is no matter, they're all in the training, our numbers are great at training, and they really put a big effort, you know, and once once um, we get over Skipperine, you know, and the celebrations were, were done dusted. They really buckled down again and went went at training pretty hard, you know. And obviously, you know, at this level, fitness is a given, you know. And they have really uh, come on since since Skipperine game. And you know, we we were lucky enough that we had the the Mikeyarki game was a home game for us straight after the, the county final. So uh, once we got over that, we were on the road into to down to Waterford to play their champions and. Looking enough to get away with that, it's very hard to get a victory in the road. But as I say, our fitness and the games are really bringing out these players. So the excitement is, is building for the weekend, and uh, it's great to see the the, the flames grow around the area, you know. And it's, it's it's building the excitement for for everybody, you know. So hopefully that people won't be overly nervous with, with the big occasion, and that. Uh, we take North Australia. Excellent stuff. On Saturday in Mallow at five o'clock, the Munster LGFA Junior A final between Ula, the Limerick champions, and Cork's champions, Neva Vaughan. Everybody here on the Big Red, Big Red Bench wishes you all the best, Noel. Good luck to you and your team. Thanks, Joe. That's great. We'll see you all in South 
miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. AFLW expert and Aussie rules coach Mike Curran joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to briefly summarise the final round of regular season matches for AFLW Season 7.0, Irish players' highlights from Round 10's matches, we preview this season's AFLW finals, and we also have the latest AFLW Ireland Irish Player of the Season standings. It is crunch time in the AFLW season uh, down under in Australia and no better man than AFLW expert and coach to a all of the Irish players are involved with the Irish players that are down in Australia playing there. Mike Curran rejoins us here on the Big Red Bench. Mike, you're very welcome to the bench. How are you? I'm very good, Jerry. The excitement has been building all season, but now it really kicks in. I think we're heading into finals times. We are indeed. And before we start, we finally met after all these years uh, on the pitch of Parky Cueve last Sunday at the scene of Nemo Rangers uh, Premier Senior Football Championship County Final Success. Uh, it was like a Hollywood movie when you saw me in a big hug and we took a picture and everything. It was lovely. Uh, but why were you on the pitch and why did I meet you there? Well, I spotted you through the crowd with your big red of him, Jackson. I know you were busy, but yeah, I was there. My own son Aaron plays with Nemo Rangers, so that's kind of our, our club here. And he has done with the last 10 years or so. So huge excitement, obviously. Um, they went into the final as underdogs. And that's a dangerous thing, I think, to label Nemo at any time, but especially in their centenary year. And it was a brilliant game, a brilliant occasion. And uh, I think we saw Luke Connolly score one of the best points mm. of the year. And it was reminiscent of something Aileen Gilroy did at Hawthorne a few weeks ago as well. So, But yeah, it was great to catch up in person. And even though everyone was running around the place with excitement. It was indeed. We'll, we'll, we'll get a proper chat at some point in the near future when I'm not wearing a big red coat, which I'm very grateful for, Red FM. Thank you very much. Anyway, down to business. We're going to briefly go through round 10, which was the final regular season round um, involving a lot, all of, the, uh, all of the clubs and a lot of Irish headlines coming out of it before we take a preview of the final. So let's start with round 10 on Friday, 28th of October. There was two games completed. Carlton losing out to the Western Bulldogs, 34-31. And Brisbane putting their mark uh, at the top of the ladder in their final regular season game Mike by hammering Collingwood 55-10 Yeah two great games to start off the round Carlton v Bulldogs Bulldogs had to win this one to stay in the East to stay in the finals they almost didn't Carlton um, gave them a big scare they laid a three quarter time but it was two goals from Captain Ellie Blackburn leading by example for Western Bulldogs got them over the line and got them into that eighth position and into finals and then Brisbane Lions giving out a big um, defeat to Collingwood by 45 points they have taken out the minor premiership. So the team that's top of the table after the regular home and away season uh, are awarded the minor premiership. That's Brisbane Lions. Seriously impressive. Interestingly, only five AFLW teams have ever averaged 50-plus points scored a game across wow. the full home and away season. Brisbane were one of them this season, and Melbourne were one of them this season, who you're going to mention next. Yes, and that's some fantastic scoring and an average of scoring, as you said, in such a competitive league. That's terrific return and well done to Brisbane and Orla Dwyer on that. But yes, on Saturday, four final round games uh, involving the Demons. They took on the West Coast Eagles and absolutely obliterated them 79-1. As well as that, St Kilda were put to the sword by the Adelaide Crows, who won 29-13. The Cats and the Swans met, and as expected, the Cats had an easy and straightforward win, winning 102-27. And finally, Fremantle and the Hawks had a cracking game in which Fremantle won 49-44 and lots of Irish interest and headlines coming out of these games Mike Definitely again across all the games so Melbourne and the Eagles this was a really interesting one before the game Melbourne would have needed a massive scoring percentage which would have meant that they could have taken top spot 
nobody expected them to do it, but they almost did it. A win by 78 points. If they had scored one more point, they'd have taken out the minor premiership ahead of the lines. That's how close it was. But a massive, massive win. Uh, From an Irish point of view, Sinead Goldrick was outstanding, had her best game of the year. She's coming into brilliant form, heading into finals, which is great news for Melbourne. She'd 16 disposals and six tackles. And what about Blind Macken? Scored her first ever AFLW goal in round 10. So great celebrations. And they're all delighted up in Armagh with that one that she got on the score sheet. Game three on Saturday, you mentioned St. Kilda versus Adelaide. Adelaide Crows got a big scare here. They were behind at half time, but they came back for the win to hold on to their third spot. And uh, Clara Fitz played for St Kilda, but Neve Kelly was the standout Irish player. And how good to see that. She's just come back from a serious shoulder injury a couple of rounds ago. She had 14 disposals, five marks, three tackles for the game. Neve Kelly's in flying form. And then to round out, um, oh no, next up we had Geelong and the Swans. So again, Rachel Kearns for Geelong scored her first goal of the season. Her also just back from a shoulder injury. So brilliant to see the players returning from injury and playing so well. And Geelong scored a massive score here. 102 points is the second highest AFLW score in a game ever. So they have clinched a spot in the finals as well. But the game of the weekend, I love this one from start to finish. Fremantle versus Hawthorne. There was Irish all over the place. We saw before the game, four Irish players were gathered in the centre circle before the warm-up having a chat. I just had the feeling that something special was going to happen. And it did. Fremantle came from behind. So again, Hawthorne were almost there for another win for the season, but Fremantle came from behind, but it was on a tie. Probably one of the best displays by an Irish AFLW player ever across seven seasons. That's high praise, but she deserves it. She scored four goals, um, had 14 disposals, six marks, three tackles. She was all over the place. There's a two or three minute highlight reel of her involvement in that game. And that's worth watching alone. But on the other side, if that wasn't enough, we had Aileen Gilroy scoring a goal and getting 14 disposals for Hawthorne. And Ongi McDonough scored a goal and 11 disposals. So the Irish were absolutely on fire in that game. But it was a brilliant win to the season or an end to the season for Fremantle to get that win and a great finish to Hawthorne who've had a brilliant year as well. They certainly have indeed. And Ani Tyke, what a performance. As you said, that highlight reel we've shared out, it's shared out on the AFLW Ireland social media account as well. Well worth your time to take a look at that. On Sunday, the final of the three regular season round games took place with Port Adelaide and Essendon locking horns. And the Bombers came out on top by 27 points here, 37-10. The Kangaroos uh, and Richmond also met and ended in a draw. And you can tell us about the significance of that result and the fact that it was a draw very shortly, Mike, but also some disappointing news for Eric O'Shea in that particular game. And finally, the Giants and the Gold Coast Suns, a a great win for the Giants, 44-32. Breed Stack having a very influential game, but one Irish player in particular grabbing the headlines on this one, Mike. Yeah, we'll get to that one in a second. That was one of the stories of the weekend. But uh, Port Adelaide and Essendon, a big win for Essendon there to finish their season on a high. No Irish involvement on this occasion. Joanne Doonan was listed as an emergence for Essendon, so no Irish featured there. North Melbourne and Richmond Kangaroos, a draw. Yes, so this was hugely significant. So a win for North would have seen them in the top four, but a draw meant that Richmond held on to fourth spot. And what's significant about that is the top eight teams go into the finals, but the top four teams get a second chance. And we'll explain that a bit more when we look ahead to the weekend's finals. Um, 
North were missing Emma Kearney, which was a huge loss, of course. She's hugely inf- influential for them. And again, they might rule their inaccuracy small bit. They scored three goals, nine behinds. We've mentioned it time and time again. It looked like they turned it around a week or two ago, but they were back to being a little bit inaccurate. Vicky Wall was very good again, you know, 13 disposals. Um, and on the other side for the Irish, Eric O'Shea, a little bit of bad news for Erica. She went off injured after being struck in the eye by the ball. And it's a, a freakish thing. I haven't seen it. In ever I think in, in watching AFL but she had to be taken to, to hospital as a result of that and there was some concern for a while and obviously everyone here at home in McCroom and the O'Shea's was, was very concerned but she has been given the all clear there's no damage there but Erica is currently on full bed rest no movement at all so it remains to be seen whether she will feature in the finals. Um, she has a medical assessment, I think, towards Thursday of this week and or this week, and that will tell the story of whether she will feature in the final. I know the way she's talking herself, they will literally have to tie her to the bed. <laughs> she wants to play come hail rain or, or, or shine, and it's hard to blame her. It would be her first ever final. But a little bit unfortunate, but on, on the positive side, um, she's got the all clear, all is okay. It's just a case now of whether she will play this weekend or whether she'll have to wait a week and hope that North go through to the next round of finals. And now, sorry, on the <laughs> Giants versus the Suns, one more to go. So yeah, there was only one story here and it was the story of the weekend. It was Cora Staunton's 50th. Uh, she was lauded throughout the weekend, rightly so, high praise, brilliant occasion. Not only was it her 50th game, it was her 50th consecutive game. Like That is a huge achievement bearing in mind she had a double leg break along the way and she still didn't miss a match so Cora Staunton is superhuman we know that uh, also another veteran giant Tanya Hetherington announced her retirement in the dressing room before the game after 46 games so there was huge emotion here huge intent from the Giants and they came out and got a brilliant win to finish their season on a high and of course who got the first goal of the game, Cora Staunton, with a brilliant goal from outside 50. Uh, so a brilliant way for her to top off her season as well and reach her 50-goal milestone. Yeah, some fantastic uh, memories, as you said, of, of what Cora Staunton has achieved as a, as a sports person in this country. I don't think she gets enough credit for it, but she's underlining again just what an amazing talent she is. And just before we move on, Eric O'Shea as well, let's hope that that injury doesn't uh, prevent her from uh, taking part in the finals over the coming weeks for the Kangaroos. It's it's very unfortunate, but no better person to bounce back from it, if possible, than Erica herself. So before we talk about finals and how it all works, let's just take a quick check on the final ladder here. Brisbane Lions finishing top and uh, Joint top with Melbourne with a better winning percentage, uh, 282 as compared to 200, a better scoring percentage, apologies, 282.4 as opposed to 282.1. That's how tight it was. In third it place, was, yeah. the Adelaide Crows on 32 points. They had a fantastic season. The Richmond Tigers on 30 as well, squeaking into the top four, um, as we mentioned earlier on, uh, despite the, the last round result. And then the, the top eight rounded out by the Geelong Cats, the Collingwood Pies, the Western Bulldogs and the North Melbourne Kangaroos. Okay, Mike, we start what is called at this point, it's down to eight. To, it's down to eight teams now to become premiership to win it all out. But we start what is referred to in Australia as finals week one. So what's happening this week, and then depending on those results, what happens from there on? Right. So we've got week one of finals this week, and final series is going to take place over four weeks. So what we have this weekend is we've got two qualifying finals. So these are the top four teams playing against each other: first versus fourth, and two versus three. So in those two qualifying qualifying finals the winners will go straight into a preliminary final and the losers will get a second chance this is why the second chance was so important they would play the following weekend so a win here gets the team a rest 
and uh, a direct route to a preliminary final, which is the game just before the grand final. We also this weekend have two elimination finals, and that does exactly what it says on the 10. If you lose this one, you are out. So these two games are critically important as well. So the losers of the elimination finals are gone, and the winners of the elimination finals go on to play in the qualifying finals the following week. Right, Simple as that. <laughs> no, yeah, I get what you mean. It's just, I suppose, in this, this side of the world, as you know, it's like semi-finals, quarter-finals. It That's is. not how it's yeah. referred to in Australia. Everything is a finals week and uh, uh, over a period of month. It's exciting. It's very good marketing ploy, if I might say so myself. But we start on Friday. Um, uh, at Icon Park between Melbourne and the Adelaide Crows. Um, that's at ten, uh, eight, just after 8am our time here in Ireland. But Melbourne and the Crows has all the ingredients of being an absolute humdinger. These are two of the most talented and free-scoring teams in the AFLW. Mike, what are you expecting from this one? Oh, look, it's going to be tight. It's going to be a classic. This is last year's grand finalists, um, which obviously the Adelaide just won the grand final last year. Um, Adelaide also beat Melbourne in the preliminary final um, in 2021 so these two are always thereabouts in the last four they're always meeting each other but of course in round one of this season Melbourne got a win over Adelaide in the grand final rematch and we know there's not going to be much between those two teams so it's going to be a cracker I think it's very hard to call it it's in Icon Park because Melbourne um, earned the right for uh, for a home game but there's not going to be much in this one there never is um, hopefully we'll see some Irish involvement obviously Goldie and Blyne Mackin should be um, playing for Melbourne Neve Kelly is back in flying form for Adelaide um, Eilish Constantine is still coming back from her rehab on that second hamstring tear so we're not going to see her this weekend as expect but hopefully if, if Adelaide go on to the following week which they will One, this is the beauty yeah. of it we're going to get a crack of a game this Friday and both these teams are still going to be around for another game uh, the following week so we're going to see a bit more of them but yeah what a final to start off the final series Absolutely as we said earlier just to make it clear the winners of Melbourne and Adelaide goes through to what is essentially what we would call a semi-final yes. of a championship but it's called a preliminary final the losers whoever loses gets a second chance against whoever comes out from the qualifying finals which is also this weekend we follow Melbourne and Adelaide the following morning on Saturday morning Irish time the Lions and the Tigers could you ever write a headline any better for a journalist with those two teams involved <laughs> but Brisbane and Richmond have been the form, but Brisbane for me have been the form team, obviously, of this season. Are Richmond capable of causing an upset here, Mike? That's my question. Well, look, at this is the beauty of this one. Lions won nine games this season and only lost one game, and that game was to Richmond Tigers. There and we go. talked about that in round five, round five as being a huge upset. They got over the Lions by four points. That time it was at Punt Road down in Richmond in Melbourne. This time they're up in Metricon Stadium in Queensland. The Lions have been looking invincible every other game apart from that one. We've mentioned across the last few weeks how much better everybody plays in a stadium. So the Lions are back in a big stadium against the Tigers. But since they had that loss in round five, I'm led to believe they have been talking about nothing else. So they really want to get a vengeance for that one. So look, I think again, the Tigers are going to be delighted with the double chance by finishing in fourth. The Lions are going to want to avenge that defeat in round five. And remember when the Lions... Um, played that game, they were missing Jesse Wardler, their full forward, who has since gone on to win the leading goal kicker award with 19 goals. She was out that day. She'll be back next weekend. But yeah, like Lions versus Tigers, you couldn't script it better. The Tigers have won seven games this season and they were seven in a row and they finished that off the season with that draw against uh, Melbourne. So they haven't lost in a long, long time. Another belter up in Metricon Stadium and can't wait to see that one. 
Likewise, I think that's the best way I could describe it from my point of view. I'm looking forward to that just as much as you are now. The final two games of finals week round one, the easiest way to describe these, it's win or go home. You win, you go on to what is essentially the semi-finals to meet the lo- one of the losers of the two games we've just spoken about. But if you lose, your season is over and you can't put it any better than that. The Geelong Cats and the Kangaroos has all the hallmarks, I think again, Mike, of an of another classic. This this, this could be a potentially season or game, uh, season defining for the Kangaroos franchise because they've had a fantastic year hopefully Eric O'Shea will be involved but Vicky Wall has been improving with every game but is that enough to get over the Cats? Well look at this is a big game um, they met already this season as well down in Tasmania North beat the Cats in that game by 28 to 16 Vicky Wall scored two goals that day and of course she's gone on to score six goals in total for the season in a brilliant debut year like we, we have to remember this is still her debut season she's only played 10 games of AFLW so she's absolutely tearing it up hopefully we'll see Eric O'Shea. If she has anything to do with it, she'll be there. But as I say, it might come down to a medical call for this weekend. But uh, fingers crossed that she gets there. But North also have another injury concern. Emma Carney, their captain, uh, who missed last week with a sore knee after a knock, is also down for a fitness test before this game. So that will be critical. She is hugely influential. But on the flip side then for Geelong, we've got Maddie Perspakis, who's their best midfielder by far. She's waiting on a fitness test on a sprained ankle. So it could be a case of those players being involved or not involved having a big impact on the game. But either way, it's going to be a brilliant final. As I say, North got the win earlier, but this time they're down the road in the GMHBA Stadium in Geelong. It's a home game from Geelong. Um, Rachel Kearns of course will feature for Geelong hopefully she's back in action after a shoulder injury we we mentioned she kicked her first goal of the season there and Geelong are also coming off the second ever highest score in an AFLW match from that 102 points they scored last weekend so they've got momentum so again all the the hallmarks for a brilliant game here but as you say whoever loses is out so nobody wants to go out in the first week of finals No they don't and nor do the final game of the weekend on Sunday between Collingwood and the Western Bulldogs two teams that finished on the ladder on identical records just with different point scoring difference I'm not even going to ask you to call this one this one is very very is going to be very very close it's the reason it's on last Mike I would imagine and it has a hallmark again with all of these games because the loser goes home this is going to be an absolute belter it absolutely is and as you say you really can't separate these two teams on paper seven weeks seven wins each across the season they have pretty much identical form sheet in terms of finals Collingwood went out to the the Brisbane Lions in comprehensively in last season's qualifying final and to the Brisbane Lions in the preliminary final in 2021 they're a team and a squad with serious aspirations to get to a grand final and win a flag is this going to be the year for them? It's hard to know, but they won't want to lose out in an elimination final. If you contrast that with the Bulldogs, this is the first time Western Bulldogs have been in a final series since they won the AFLW competition in the second year in 2018. So they won it and haven't appeared in a final since. So that's huge progress for them this season. That's back where they'll want to be. But yeah, I think this is potentially one of the ones that could go either way without question. Uh, hopefully we will see big performances from both Sarah Rowe and Ashling Sheridan from Collingwood who have been in great form in fairness Sarah Rowe has had a storming second half of the season Ashling Sheridan has come back from an injury and had two great games across rounds 9 and round 10 so we'll be expecting big performances from the Irish pair of Magpies Collingwood will want to win this one but Bulldogs are not going to roll over that's for sure 
They most certainly are not. So, just to recap, finals week one begins on Friday, the 4th of November. Melbourne uh, Demons and the Adelaide Crows uh, meeting at Icon Park on Saturday, a doubleheader of the Brisbane Lions and the Richmond Tigers, followed by the Geelong Cats and the North Melbourne Kangaroos. And then on Sunday, the game, Mike has just broken down for us there, the Collingwood and Western Bulldogs showdown. And those final two games we mentioned there, remember the loser goes home, everybody else still stays in the game. To finish up this week, Mike, the final round of AFLW Irish Player of the Year standing for round 10 unsurprisingly Anya Tai tops the charts with 96 points ahead of Sinead Goldrick on 19 Aileen Gilroy on 81 but for the overall Irish player of the year and for the leading goal kicker what does that mean? Uh, so just to finish out in the round 10 this is the first time Anya Tai was so good in round 10 that we called the player of the year on Saturday with three games still to be played so that's how good she was but brilliant to see her get the win and brilliant to see Goldie and Neve Kelly in the top six for round 10 but in terms of the overall standings it's been on the cards since round one and in fairness Ash Mack has been brilliant she's the winner this season she's taken out the AFLW Ireland Irish player of the year from start to finish hugely consistent uh, despite the results not going the way the Eagles even in round 10 when they were comprehensively beaten by Melbourne Ash Mack was absolutely brilliant again so she is thoroughly deserving of the Irish Player of the Year award it was never in doubt the only thing that was going to affect her is if she missed out in a game and incidentally this is the first season in three seasons that she hasn't had a serious injury that has impacted and meant that she has missed out on games. So she's played a full season, which is brilliant to see. And we've always suspected that if she got a full season, she'd be brilliant. And she was. And then closely followed by Aileen Gilroy, Orlo Dwyer, Anya Tai, Vicky Wall, Sarah Rowan, six. What a list of players. Every one of them to a tee has been outstanding across um, the 10 rounds and it's brilliant that we're going to see a few of the players uh, at least four of those across the next few weeks and finals again and then to go on to goal scorers all the way up along to round 10 Cora Staunton was at the top of the table Anya ties burst in round in round 10 she scored four goals she finishes the season as the leading Irish goal kicker with 11 goals Cora got a goal in her 50th game she finishes in second on eight Vicky Wall we mentioned it earlier six goals in her first season North Melbourne have landed diamond here she she marks she tackles she's physical but she scores goals as well and what about Anya McDonough four goals mm. in her first season that's a brilliant return for Hawthorne as well and Ash Mack and Orla Dwyer with three goals each so that rounds out the leading goal kicker and the Irish player of the year yeah, what a finish as well. Of course, um, Cora Staunton looked odd on to win that, of course, until Anya Tigg's goal works right at the end. Mike, we've come to the end of uh, reviewing the final round of Season 10. We've previewed the first week of the finals week. We've looked at the overall AFLW uh, standings. But just one more matter of, of business to deal with, and that is your podcast, um, which has been proving very successful and very entertaining. Uh, what can we expect on that podcast and where can we find it uh, next week and beyond? So this week we spoke to uh, Vicky Wall. So a brilliant chat with Vicky. And you can catch that on AFLW underscore Ireland on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. And this week coming up, we will be talking to Breed Stack, whose season with the Giants is over as well. So we had a great chat with Breed as always. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for Breed Stack this week and catch up with Vicky Wall from last week's episode on our AFLW underscore Ireland social media channels. Excellent stuff. We'll be back next week to break down each of the four games from week one of the AFLW season finals and look ahead to week two. But for now, as ever, Mike Curran, AFLW Ireland coach and expert. And uh, thank you very much for your analysis. And we'll talk to you next week on the Big Red Bench. Looking forward to it, Thanks so much. 
The Big Red Bench. Game on. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Ulster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan is back on the Big Red Bench to discuss another busy period of women's rugby, including last weekend's Munster Girls Under 18, Under 16 and Under 14 results, recent Munster Women's Junior results, an entertaining women's AIL senior clash between Ballincollig and UL Bohemians, an update on IRFU contracts, and why that is in the news. And finally, some good news about next year's newly created Celtic Cup and Ireland's involvement. Now, yet again, it has been a busy time in the Munster women's rugby world with a lot of action both at underage and adult and uh, also at national level. Lots of topics to discuss, so there's only one person to talk to, and that's our regular contributor to Munster women's rugby chairperson, Wendy Keenan. Wendy, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench. How are you? I'm great, Jared. Thanks a million and thanks for the invite back on. As always, the open invitation, Wendy, as you well know. Um, let's start with the underage because both at under 18, under 16, under 14, it's been quite a busy couple of weeks in Munster. Yeah, I mean, lots of results coming in and I'm going to share those with you now. But I mean, all the clubs are up and running um, and just great to see everybody back on the pitch and back playing um, after that delayed start. So I'm going to kick off with our um, under 18s and just mention some of the results there. So we had Killarney 24, Clannacilty 5, Balancolic 47, Trulise 17, um, Cove Dolphin Amalgamation 5, Killarney coming out on top there with 35. Ennis Kilrush um, defeated Carrick Thurlis 24-20 and a draw between Shannon and Brough 19 each. So um, so that's our 18s after kicking off which is great. A few matches there um, postponed um, so we'll see those go on in the next uh, couple of weeks. We've had so much rain over the last couple of weeks and um, some of the pitches unfortunately have been unplayable for the for the first and second round um, for some of the girls. Um, loads happening at our under 16 level so um, I'll just give a little uh, brief update in relation to those. So the amalgamation at Ballincollig Dolphin came on top against Carrick Thurlis, a really strong match there at 33-12. A very strong Middleton Yall uh, uh, defeated our newcomers, I suppose, Mallow Mitchellstown, 42-12. And Feather were beaten by Clannacilty. Um, Feather usually have a very strong team. Um, so I suppose a lot of their girls moved on to, to uh, under-18. So that's why we've probably seen that there. Um, Skibbereen came on, on out on top against Bandon. You'll probably be delighted to hear that one. And the neighbours, Clannacilty, came out on top. Killarney, 33-24. Um, 30-0 to Brough um, over UL Bowes. And Shannon, too strong for Kilrush, unfortunately. Kilrush being the newcomers, 35-5. And then Balna Kililu having a strong start, 21-10 over um, Ennis. So um, lots of matches. I think we had, we had a full quota of matches at under 16. And then just our under 14, another couple of results. Um, Brough came out on top, uh, 24-19 over Richmond. Shannon, too strong for Old um, Crescent, who are building a very strong uh, girls' club. I suppose they've come back in the last couple of years. They used to be, I suppose, one of the best teams in the country uh, in, oh, a couple of years ago. When I say a couple of years ago, I'm talking 20 years ago, of course. Um, but Shannon, 45, Old Crescent, 15. Uh, Killarney, 44. Canturk, 22. And again, Clannacilty, too strong for Skibbereen, 47, 17. So that's the, the youth, 14, 16s and 18s. Um, and all the matches that have taken place. Yeah, excellent to, to see. Again, uh, one thing whenever you're giving us the, these updates, uh, Wendy, the, the the sheer number of clubs now that are that are popping up and the amalgamations even to get women's rugby going at underage. Like you mentioned a few there already, um, newcomers to the newcomers to the grade. And considering the weather, as you said, to get that many games played over the last she's the last two weeks, you must be delighted to get those uh, games on the board. 
Yeah, we're we're absolutely thrilled, and I suppose to see you know clubs coming back into action, like seeing Old Crescent mm. rebuild again because they were so strong in the past. Seeing Middleton come back, you know, in their women's section, um, it's, look, I mean, it's it's very exciting for us to to see that. And when we look at the you know all the clubs that I've called out, I suppose we're co- we're covering all corners of the province. You know, what I mean, over two weeks, that was just this week's um, results. And I suppose if we're to develop the game, we need to develop it in, uh, throughout the province. So that's really important for us and for the development officers. Indeed, you do. And you're doing that spectacularly so and so well that the adult Munster Junior uh, competitions, which have also started recently, now it hasn't been as much action because of the weather, but we have got some results recently from the adult Munster Junior section. Yeah, uh, loads of tries been scored, so it must have been very exciting matches. So um, Kerry 37, Skibbereen 27. Um, I, I'm sure they'll do battle many times over over the season. And Thurless 29 and Waterpark 38, with Waterpark coming out and strong. They're starting off from where they left off last season. They finished the season really strong. Um, Waterpark did last year after making a comeback, again after a couple of years. And we had a draw for our cup competition in the prelim round, um, Skibbereen. Green are going to face Shannon in that prelim round for the Open Cup. So, um, so yeah, so that's the catch up for this week in the adult game. Yes, last look. week. And as you said, sorry, uh, last look forward to, I would imagine, in the coming weeks as well, weather permitting. Yes, so a few of them had the long weekend off, which, uh, you know what I mean, which is nice. And they'll be back in action again uh, next weekend. And we'll have cup action coming up over the next couple of weeks. So they will be busy in the run up to Christmas. Excellent stuff. You're listening to the Big Red Bench uh, and the Women in Sport podcast with our Munster Women's Rugby chairperson and regular contributor and correspondent, Wendy Keenan. Wendy, we've missed out on a couple of weeks of the women's AIL and there was one very significant game of which was particular interest to Munster Rugby fans. Yeah, since we last spoke, um, I was out in Ballincollig watching um, watching them host the UL Bowls in what can only be described as horrendous conditions. It was lashing out of the heavens on the day. And uh, Ballincollig actually opened the score with a converted try. Um, a lot of knock-ons, a lot of unforced errors, just purely because of the conditions that everybody was playing it. UL scored a try just before half-time, so it was 7-5. Um, but look, lots of handling errors as, as the conditions worsened in the second half. Two tries tries um, from UL Bowes, one just at the death to deny uh, Balancholic a losing bonus point. So they came out on top um, 19-7. Now, I mean, the match really could have gone either way, you know what I mean, for the first 15 minutes because of the conditions, I suppose. But a great performance um, from Balancholic. I mean, they would have been very happy with that scoreline. I mean, they're used to a lot of scores being clocked up against them um, from UL Bowes. Um, so they'll take a lot from that match um, for the, the remainder of the league. Excellent stuff, and again, as you said, like for it's it, this is new ground uh, this year for for a lot of the, the players involved in these, in even both teams. In fact, it's new look sides for both of them. It's it's a learning curve, and we're not just trying to say that to pander them. We're being honest about it. That, as you said, whatever with the scoreline, it sounds like in such horrendous conditions, a team can take a huge amount from that. And Balancholic would be delighted that they can try and go and build on this now. Yeah, and and I suppose you know in the past they would have had you know players at Munster training you know during the summer, you know so they probably would hit the ground a little bit more running. Whereas they wouldn't have had that this season with the Interpros moved to after Christmas. Um, UL Bowes will have players in the Irish training set up during the summer um, so it's a, it's a different element for them but um, yeah I think Ballincollig are getting stronger week by week and um, you know they'll be they'll be disappointed with that score at 19-7 mm. even though it wasn't a, a very good result for them 
Indeed. Good to hear anyway that the progress is being made by a very progressive club both on and off the pitch and well done to UL Bowes as well in their continuing successes. Now, on, on the international side of things, in the news over the past couple, uh, the past seven days, IRFU contracts has been pretty prominent, uh, Wendy, as we figured it was going to be. And I suppose the reaction to that, which is, is ongoing, will come from it. Your own take on, on why the IRFU contracts were in the news this week. Um, I suppose um, some players have taken up those contracts um, they're very contracts between um, 30,000 a year and 15,000 a year um, the contracts were offered to I suppose 15 players 15 side and the 7 side game and some of the players have declined the contracts some of the players that are playing in England have declined the contracts and um, for various reasons some um, I suppose because of their professional career uh, pathway don't you know I mean giving up their, their jobs and moving to Dublin and um, they just don't think it's uh, feasible for them to do that um, with the contract that they've been offered and I suppose the girls in the UK are getting great experience uh, I mean at a in a more competitive environment um, and aren't willing yet to give that up so I think there's been disappointing performance really I suppose from some of the players who haven't taken up the contracts but there'll be more debate on that I, um, oh, I imagine over the next coming week, uh, the coming weeks to come yeah, when you say there's going to be more debate, I mean, if somebody's offered a contract and they don't take it up at the first, uh, you know, first option, first calling, what happens to a player from there then? I mean, is there is there negotiations or is it just a one-time chance? Or as you said, some players that I would know now in the Irish setup that are playing in England obviously are getting well paid and obviously the competition for their career from their own point of view, you have to understand their point of view that it's better for them to stay there. But what does it mean then? Are those contracts offered to other players? I mean, are they bringing, and, and if you don't take up the contract, can you not play with Ireland? I suppose they're the details that I actually do not know and mm. hope we'll get clarification on that at our next um, IRFU meeting in the next two weeks and I'll certainly come back mm. with answers to that. I don't think it'll close the door for the players that are not contracted. Um, I think it'll have a knock-on effect as months as Ireland will enter a team into the Celtic Cup competition mm. and I imagine 30 of those contracted players will be involved in that squad for the for this new Celtic Cup competition which will include Welsh and Scottish sides. Um, I know there was a conversation at once stage that Ireland would have two teams um, entering the Celtic Cup but um, to start off with after Christmas I think it's just one and it's going to involve 30 contracted players from what I've heard Mm. Um, I suppose rather than me speculate um, I'd probably prefer to come back with more accurate information in relation to the question that you're asking Mm. but I can't imagine um, the door being closed on any of those talented players because we need them Absolutely and yeah we we finish on a positive note because the Celtic Cup I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer. It sounds like, irrespective of what team Ireland put out, the experience gained and hopefully the more eyeballs and a bit more sponsorship coming that way for a Celtic Cup, it seems like a good idea and a good time to, to, to kick something like that off. Yeah, I suppose there's going to be lots of movement now in relation. I think the Interpros is going to come a little bit earlier in January um, and then we'll have Celtic Cup matches leading into the Six Nations and then further Celtic Cup competitions, you know what I mean, while all the AIL teams will play in the AIL Cup. So um, there's a lot of movement of fixtures to come up and I, I, I you know, we'll be provided with a lot of clarification on, on on what the move will be in relation to all of those, um, and who will be playing in what, which seems to be up in the air at the moment. But I mean, I suppose we're hearing, you know, what I mean third hand information in relation mm. to the contracts um and the fixtures for this Celtic Cup. So once we have those all set down, um I think it's really exciting really that Ireland are going to be moving on into, you know what I mean, we need to lift the standard of play for it to compete uh, at an international level and you know, we need to be playing the other the other clubs in the other countries to be able to do that. 
Absolutely. And we look forward to getting, as you said, all that information to come. Something to look forward to as well early in the new year. A lot of new competitions, as you said. The more Ireland play at that level, the better they're going to get. As ever, Wendy Keenan, you've covered a huge amount of ground for us in a short space of time. We really appreciate it here on the Big Red Bench. Thanks for that fantastic Munster Women's Rugby update. And we'll talk to you again next week. Okay, super. Thanks, sir. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Echo newspaper and echolive.ie columnist Linda Mellerick joins me on the Big Red Bench to review this year's SE Systems Cork Camogie Senior Championship County Final between defending champion Shandoon and Sarsfields and why it was a marvellous advert for Cork Camogie. Now on the Big Red Bench I'm delighted to be joined by Echo newspaper and echolive.ie columnist Linda Mellerick to reflect on an absolutely brilliant occasion for Cork Camogie, the SE Systems Cork Camogie Senior County final between Shandoon and Sars delivered and did it what in terms of excitement in front of a big crowd at Castle Road and the defending champions held on to their crown. Linda, you're very welcome back to the bench. Thank you, Ger. Um, I guess there's no, as I said, uh, reading your, your your reflections on not just the, uh, the 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 final itself, but the occasion and what a big and important day it was for Cork Camogie at Castle Road. Talk to me about the crowd and the atmosphere first um, at, at the final because it sounds like it was fantastic. It was. There was a great crowd. Um, initially, I thought they were a bit slow in coming in. I looked at the crowd about 10 minutes ago and I said, oh, I thought to be bigger. And then uh, five minutes into the game, I looked around and it was just packed. And uh, I think anyone who went wasn't disappointed. Um, when you consider the conditions, even though we had no rain for the for the duration of the game, when you consider the underfoot conditions and, and the quality of the hurling, it was just top class. And I mentioned in my article last week, I met a, num- met a number of people since, and, and particularly that night, and, and um, they were blown away by it. It was their first Camogie final, and they couldn't get over the standard and the quality. And um, so, and I, you know, I did mention as well that I think when you have a team like Shandun bringing players from, and, and guys from different clubs, you know, uh, in particular, um, I thought it just added to the occasion and, and brought people that maybe may not have gone to a game in the past. Yeah, as you said, that's what divisions do. They bring in a lot of extra play- people uh, from different clubs and it, it you know it swells the interest more than anything else. But the final itself, considering the conditions, because I was in Parky Cueva on the same day and the conditions were just as bad, but considering the conditions, it's testament to both teams and their preparation, Linda, that they put on such a fantastic show. Uh, look, I was blown away by it, to be honest. Um you know, at, I mean, at the start when 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 Amy went off and scored one four, you were saying, "Oh my God, what's happening here?" You know, but it, I mean, it's I have to admire Sarah's because they never panicked. They didn't start making switches left, right, and centre. Um, you know, they took the time. They settled. They were just kind of, you know, they'll obviously regret that opening eight or ten minutes. Um, but they settled and they started winning possession and winning freeze and got themselves back into it. And then it was kind of hit for tat they'd hit three on the in, on, on the bounce and then Shandu would come back and hit three or four and it was back and forth like that until half time and uh, five points in at half time then and then um, uh, Orla Mullins I think yeah if I recall she kicked off the start of the second half and then it was point for point again but then when Amy got that goal in 35 minutes to, to, to give, put them seven ahead I mean you said right you know you couldn't see a start come back and yes, what a goal from the puck out from Orla Mullins. It was just as good as you'd see anywhere. And all of a sudden then you're saying, Gee, this is on again. And then they hit the next four points in a row and the sides were level and you just couldn't believe the excitement at that stage. I mean, they really got the gander up at that point. And 
I actually thought at that point that they'd win it. Um, I thought Shandun were starting to tire, obviously, after the, the day before of um, the intermediate final. And Bishopstone had played as well the day before, so that, that took May Scanlon into another game 24 hours, before, hours beforehand. And and yet you have to give Shandun great credit because, God, they dug deep. I think I thought Caitlin Hickey won great ball at that particular time around the middle of the field. And then Shandun got the next three points, which you couldn't have seen a few minutes earlier. Uh, Sars came back again with another couple, and it was just tit for tat. Um and it was it was so exciting you couldn't take your eye off it for a minute and the crowd really got behind both sides and it really was a tremendous occasion. I mean, you know, Castle Road is very open plan as you know, very mm. open, very. Um, if that had been in a stadium, to take it would have taken the roof off. If that had been out in CIT or somewhere, you would really have got the effect of the crowd. Even though I don't think CIT would have held the crowd to be honest, but. Uh, that would just give you an idea of, of, of the excitement that was there um, in those closing minutes as well, you know. Indeed, it sounds like an absolutely crackling atmosphere and fantastic way to end what's been a very, very entertaining senior uh, club championship. Can I put it to you, Linda, from reading your report and reading your, your, your analysis of it, how important it was for Shandun to have a county championship under their belts that in the melting pot towards the end that they didn't panic and that they just stuck to the game plan and maybe that's what helped them over the line? 100%. You know, I don't think they'd have got over the line had it been 12 months previously. I think their win in 2021 really cemented the team and bonded them. Um, and they, they play like a club team. They're, you know, they've got very close over that period of time. And, you know, and I think Amy had spoken before the game about, you know, you never know when we'll all be together again. And, you know, they just dug so deep because really I felt that Sars were on the ascendancy midway through that second half once they drew level. Um, but how Shandun got the next three points really was 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 just testament to the to the drive, I suppose, and the hunger that they had in them to win that back to back title. Indeed, and for Trevor Coleman and his backroom team, um, and similar to Sars and their and their backroom team as well, the effort that they put in this year, I think, not alone just the skill levels, but the fitness levels for me is something that I've noticed. Now maybe it's post COVID, maybe players have just got more time and more freedom to get prepared. But the quality of Camogie in both the semi-finals and clearly in the finals suggests that the club scene is in a very healthy state, uh, as would the intermediate final uh, and how that uh, that panned out between Ahabullock and Black Rock. Is that a fair comment, Linda? Or is, the, is the quality of the Camogie getting better in your eyes or have we still a way to go on the club scene? Oh, well, look, it's hard to know. I mean, you know, Cork haven't done well in Munster or the All-Ireland for a, a number of years now. Um, uh but, you know, I always, the Cork Championship, because it's so open, because so many can win it, it's always a top-class competition. And certainly if you base base everything on the final, you'd say, wow, the standard has gone up. But, you know, there were poor games earlier in the group. Mm. Um, but I think once we got to the knockout stage and, you had, you know, you start getting the cream of the crop to the top, we had some great battles. We really did. Um, you know, Fitness-wise, absolutely. Um, certainly the fit, fitness levels have shot up. Uh, quality, you know, it depends on the game you're looking at as to whether you, 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 you'd say, yes, it's gone up or not. Um, certainly the final was, was, was the best I've seen in a long time for quality. Excellent stuff. Now, Sars, obviously, for those who don't know, we'll go ahead uh, in this weekend in the Munster Championship because obviously Shandun are a division. Um, they're playing this weekend. Uh, they have a tough assignment, Linda. They do. They're playing Scarif Ogonello. Um, of Clare they're, they're, they've just won their back-to-back title and they are the, monster, the reigning monster champions as well um, but 
you know, stars are more than capable of doing well in this competition. And um, I, I keep harping on about, you know, the players they've lost this year. I think that just adds even greater credit to, to their final display. Um, so obviously, Lucy Allen would still be out as well. And she was a massive loss today at the final for them. But, you know, I bumped into Tygo Ty Glinch there at the re- intermediate replay there last Saturday. And, you know, he said they're up for it. You know, they knew before the final that, that this was on the agenda and they're up for it and they're looking forward to it. And listen, if they bring the performance that they brought to Castle Road to Scarif, you know, they're in with a great chance. I haven't seen Scarif play, um, but you'd imagine that the Cork champions and you could say, look, in stars are close to being the, the you know the, the top club in Cork. Um, you you'd imagine that that Cork champions would be Clare champions, but you know you don't know, you don't know. I'm only kind of speculating there. I don't know the Scarf team very well, but certainly I would imagine with the quality that's in stars that they're up there. Yes, indeed, that should be an interesting uh, encounter, as you said, and and with Scarf's uh, reputation and with their recent record, it's going to be a tough one for Sars, but why not? Uh, before I let you go, obviously, we have not forgotten about Aha Bullock and Black Rock. How could we? Because it was all over social media this past weekend, the intermediate final replay and how that panned out. We're going to talk about it in more depth next week, in depth more next week. But um, when we talk about the positivity surrounding Cork Camogie in the club scene, this final and the way Aha Bullock won it, Linda, only added to that. Oh yeah, look, I was at both games and, um, you know, Aha Bullock, I mean, both days you could say that they were, that, that the game was was gone from them. Um, Keena Healy was just majestic in the drawn game, gave them another chance. And this game was, was a lot closer, I think. It was tit for tat all the way through. Uh, it went to extra time. I thought when Blackrock got the goal at the start of extra time that that would, that they'd probably see it out. But, you know, once again, our Bullock, you know, they dug deep, they took their points. Blackrock had chances to go further ahead. They didn't take them. You know, our Bullock had chances, they missed them. But once again, Kleena Healy, you know, I mean, incredible that she was. I mean, the two games she has played for them have just been top class. And, you know, her point there to win it had it fallen to anyone else. They mightn't have got it, but it fell to the right lady. Um, so, you know, you'd be delighted for our Bullock, to be fair. It was their third final in a row. To lose that would have been very hard. At the same time, you'd feel sorry for Black Rock. I know some of those girls now, they're on, they're, they're chasing this a long time as well. So you'd feel for them to lose like that. Um, but at the same time, I'm glad Freeze didn't decide the outcome. Yeah. Um, and, you know, both sides can hold their head high. I mean, what do they play? Two hours, 20, that's it, you know, of, of Camogie to, to, decide, to decide it. And it was decided by a point. So, you know, Great credit to both teams. Delighted, you know, great credit to Tar Bullock. But, you know, I'm sure Blackrock were heartbroken. And of course, um, Caitlin Hickey and Michelle Murphy head off next week on their travels for 12 months. So, you know, will Blackrock be able to come to the well again without them? You know, that's a question. So time will tell, I suppose. It will indeed, but what a way to end the season with two fantastic SE Systems yeah, Cork Camogie yeah. Senior Intermediate Finals. And we've enjoyed your coverage throughout the season um, on the Echo Live.ie website and in the newspaper, the Echo, during throughout the week, Linda. So for, on behalf of everybody here in the Big Red Bench, we're not finished yet. There's a few more things to talk about between here and the end of the year. But uh, a sincere thanks for all your help and uh, analysis throughout the season here on the Big Red Bench. 
You're welcome, Ger. Thank you too. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM resident Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie joins me on the Big Red Bench for her weekly Formula 1 segment to discuss why a lacklustre Mexican GP couldn't match the rabid energy of the home crowd, why a hard tyre gamble didn't pay off for Mercedes, Max Verstappen and Red Bull having a go at Sky Sports F1, and mixed reviews for Red Bull F1's costly gap penalty. Now on the Big Red Bench, it is an even bigger pleasure than usual to welcome our resident Corkshire FM Formula One expert because Sarah McKenzie, who has been with us on this uh, on Big Red Bench for a long time now, returns to this week's edition as a newly married person. Congratulations to you and your partner Katie on getting married recently. Sarah, uh, you're beaming. I can see here uh, on the camera. They can't tell on the podcast. They're about to be able to tell because you'll be so happy. But congratulations to you both. Thank you so much. Yeah, had the best day as uh, as I was saying to you. West Cork never disappoints. So uh, delighted to to be able to celebrate that last week. No, it does not. As you well know from having to listen to me uh, going on and on about Ferrari for a full year. So look, it was about time you got some positive uh, West Cork feedback. But we're delighted for both of you and Katie, and all the best to uh, for, uh, in your futures. Right, you're here now because you're working. You. Okay, so you're here now to talk Formula One, the Mexican Grand Prix, <laughs> the Mexican GP is in the books. Um, and you've described it as lacklustre, and I agree with you, apart from the crowd and the, and the frenzy in the crowd, which you want to talk about. But let's start by talking about Max Verstappen, because before we talk about the negatives of Red Bull and Max Verstappen, let's talk about the positives and the records uh, that he broke this past weekend, Sarah. Yeah, so he has now officially won the most races out of any driver in an F1 season, and he's also scored the most points. So obviously we still have a couple of races left, so it looks like he probably would increase that record for whoever the next person is that's that's going to try and break it. Uh, it may indeed be him as himself again. But yeah, I mean, look, it's it's super impressive. Um, you know, can't deny, no matter kind of what you put up against it, it's uh, it's a very, very impressive performance from him and the team this year. It is, and let's give him his due. He does have the right car. He has Adrian Newey. He has the money behind him, and he is delivered. It's, it's all very well having those things, as we've said on countless, countless times on on, ba- on the big red bench. But look, the other side of it is, and um, we're about to talk about the negative side of it, but first, the Mexican GPs itself, I mean, apart from about five or six laps from the end when he passed Lewis Hamilton, there was a bit of passing in the midfield, but the crowd was absolutely crazy, uh, which was fantastic to see from Mexico's point of view. It looked fantastic. But why was it so lacklustre? I don't really know if anybody kind of understood exactly why it was so poor. Um, As you said, it was, you know, there were very few overtakes. Like even, you know, you normally have phases in a race where, you know, you expect the first couple of laps to be quite busy and it just, it just kind of wasn't, it really did fall flat and, you know, Max Verstappen ended up winning by 15 seconds, you know, which is not kind of the the nicest stuff that you want to see in terms of, of competition and, we were relying on Daniel Ricciardo to provide us with uh, the vast majority of of the overtakes. And, you know, he ended up getting a bit overzealous and receiving a 10-second penalty. And it's weird to think that that was sort of one of the highlights, if you could call it that, of the race. Um, but, yeah, the action was just very poor. Um, and I think, as you said, the energy of the crowd was definitely not matched by the energy on track. But... I think maybe sometimes when you get one or two really exciting Grand Prix at a track, it almost like reinvigorates the track's reputation, Mm -hmm. even if it's not always been that stellar. And I think maybe that's kind of what's happened here um, between like the last couple of seasons and this season. 
Yeah, that's a fair point, actually. Yeah, and just on Danny Ricardo, I mean, the, the I don't know if you've seen the footage of him in inside in the cockpit of the car, and he points yeah. his finger like the gun, or just as he's about to overtake someone. That's typical him. But this this has all come too far, far too late, Sarah. As we've outlined before, like you know, losing the seat and all that. Where was that? You know, mm. joy of Formula One racing. Where was all that vigor? Where was all that you know self belief earlier in the year? I just don't. I, it, it actually saddened me to see him mm. doing that because I'm saying, come on, man, you can do this. You've done it in a Red Bull. You can do it. The car mightn't be as fast, but you can certainly do it. And I, I think it's one of the great disappointments of this season, you know, that he's not going to be in it next year. And the fact that, you know, it wasn't necessarily a technical fault or a poor car because, you know, his teammate proves that it isn't. But I, I was actually a little bit saddened as as great as it was to see him doing what he can do so late in the season. And, you know, it, it, like, is it a wasted talent or am I am I overselling it? it's weird it was really weird after the race he was interviewed about you know the instance that he took the penalty for and he said yeah you know I felt bad at the time but now I've watched it back and I feel less bad and like that's the Daniel Ricciardo of old you know that's like the the very edgy but like funny you know the honey badger essentially Mm. like that's what he's known for that's his his moniker and uh he certainly did lose it like you say it's pretty much too little too late um interestingly he did say that he would not kind of ruled out nascar uh over the weekend interview so i think that's that that was quite an interesting development where we had alluded to the fact that we didn't think he wanted to do anything but F1, um, but he's kind of getting closer to actually like confirming that now as well. Interesting. We'll keep an eye on that. That would, that would be interesting to see him in NASCAR. <laughs> yes, to the American, some of the American audiences there. Oh God, okay. Best of luck with that, Daniel. Um, second and fourth on paper for Mac, or for uh, Sir Lewis and for his teammate, George Russell for Mercedes. Sounds like a good day at the office, Sarah, but you wanted to talk about why their hard tyre gamble didn't pay off yeah so they they went out on the medium compounds the red bulls and Ferraris around them were on softs and there was a mixture of opinions across the teams as to whether a one stop would be possible um and then whether it would be the best i suppose quickest way to win the race and i think there was an opportunity there for we just mentioned Daniel Ricciardo. He was on a, a sort of interesting strategy where he went long on his mediums and then soft and was very quick at the end. George Russell actually asked for that once he was put onto the hard tyre and his request was denied by the team. They really did feel like the hard tyres were the best. Um, Lewis didn't necessarily ask for anything specific when he was struggling with the, car, the hards. He just said, like, I don't think this is the right tyre. And he got an awful lot of reassurance from his race engineer but I do think it wasn't the quickest option um, and interestingly Total Wolf had said that he thought that this Grand Prix was the the one maybe the, the one opportunity left they could have had to get a win and I think it just didn't you know as I said earlier Verstappen won by 15 seconds it really didn't materialize that way um, but as you say you know, if you were to tell, if you were to have said to them at the beginning of the season, for example, second and fourth, they would have been thrilled. Um, but I think, yeah, overall, it was sort of a similar to the race. Overall, I think they were kind of just disappointed um, with with the kind of magnitude of the result. Was this amplified by the fact that Sir Lewis is still chasing that that victory that would give him the record of you know winning one at least one Grand Prix in every season he's been involved, which is it's. 
we say it kind of blasé, but it really would be a fantastic accolade. Mm. Um, is is that kind of grating him and, and Toto? And it wouldn't take much to, to grate Toto Wolf now, but uh, at the moment. But uh, is that kind of grating at him? You know, when you're six laps to go and the, the strategy is wrong, we, we did have the car. Is that kind of, you know, is he, is he nitpicking again, Lewis, uh, at Mercedes a bit? I think he just sees the potential, I suppose. And he's, um, you know, his message when he came on the radio after the race was, again, very kind of encouraging, very much, you know, thanks so much again, everyone, like, great job. Um, I think they know that there is a gulf between them and the, the Red Bulls, that it would require something to happen in a race to for them to get that win. It was never going to happen in a race where there was essentially like not a whole lot happened at all, um, which is what happened in Mexico. So I think it, it would be very disappointing for him to not manage at least one win this year. I think ugh, it's just, it's a rotten record to think about mm. breaking. It's just so awful. And I have a feeling that it would be like the one year that it would happen you know I don't I don't think he he would, he would ever want that to happen again so who knows look we'll see I, I wouldn't put it past him I would never uh, would never put anything past him but it's it's a it's going to be a tall order now I think speaking of putting things past people <laughs> Red Bull Max Verstappen and their uh, pretty petty response to Ted Kravitz a hugely respected uh, Sky Sports Formula 1 he's a journalist first and foremost but Sky, Sky Sports mm. Formula 1's go-to guy in the pits news breaking news and everything he made a kind of a throwaway remark at best saying that remember last year in the final race of the season when Lewis was robbed now there might be a bit of Great Britain patriotism bubbling to the top there fair enough but why did Red Bull react and I, Max Verstappen included react in the manner they did Sarah in, in, in not uh, in not agreeing to talk to or deal with Sky Sports over much of the weekend in Mexico? It's a strange one. It really is very strange. I think I, I go back and forth between my respect for the, and we've talked about this before mm. um, with the Pierre Gasly incident uh, in Japan recently. I go back and forth with my level of respect for the, the reporting that happens sometimes on Sky Sports F1. I think sometimes they they get a little bit too partisan. Uh, and I think it, it, you know, it is, it does get them in hot water. Um, and on this occasion, it certainly did. But as you say, I, th- I think it's an overreaction. I think, you know, Christian Horner and Max Verstappen just arrived it as a constant disrespect from one particular individual. And I kind of thought, hang on a second, Christian Horner is on the radio constantly talking to Sky Sports. Like almost every weekend he gets featured very heavily. He's constantly being interviewed. Um, And I just kind of thought, yeah, you know, it is a bit much. And it was almost like scolding a child, you know, they Mm. kind of took away the the treat of, of, of speaking to them over the weekend. Then they've come out this week and said, oh, it's all okay now. You know, we're going to talk to them again at the next race. It was just this one this one sort of slap on the wrist and it was it was just weird. It, it was kind of a, a very strange scenario, the whole thing. Very strange, very weird. And my theory is that it was done because they want to get some headlines uh, that will deflect away from the Red Bull cost gap penalty, which they received, which I know we're going to finish up on here because Ferrari and McLaren are not happy about what happened. And I doubt very much Sky could say what they really think on this because they have the right now until 2029. So they're in control of the of the media and control of, of how it's portrayed. Yeah. Uh, but can you can you fill us in basically on why? Uh, and it, it, it is why I think the whole uh, we're not talking to Sky was a lovely dovetail away from what they didn't really want to talk about, which is this cost gap penalty and why it has incensed so many people in the paddock 
Yeah, I think you're dead right. And they've done that before, deflecting. They're actually very, very good at it. Um, they have a fantastic PR team. And essentially what's happened is that finally the FIA have announced what the fine was and the penalty was for Red Bull breaching the cost cap in 2021. So they finally told us that they breached it by £1.86 million. Pounds. Um, they were then fined $7 million and they got a 10% cut in their aerodynamic research for next year. Um, which is a car that they're obviously already developing. Um, Christian Horner said the penalty was draconian uh, and he said that it was going to represent between a kind of 0.25 to half a second of lap time uh, for a 12-month period. I doubt that very, very much. I think they he's selling his team short there, being dramatic. Um, but yeah, Ferrari, McLaren, not happy. Toto Wolf was actually quite quiet on it. Mm. Um, which was interesting, but mm. you know, I think the Ferrari racing director said that the real effect of the penalty is very limited. I think you know there was a lot more that could have been done, and I think again, it just questions the value of of the cost cap here at all. Um, and as you said, very smartly dealt with by Red Bull in the end this weekend. Yes, they should give their PR people a raise after this weekend. Let, let's cause a distraction by not <laughs> they talking. Can't. It'll bring the cost <laughs> That's cap. true, actually. Yeah, be careful. Yeah. Oh man, once again, uh, Sarah here talking to us on the big red bench. Uh, the off track shenanigans overshadowing mm. what was a pretty lacklustre race let's be honest about it but we're coming towards the end of the season and before we talk about the next GP in Brazil let's just take a quick check on the F1 driver standings obviously Max Verstappen of Red Bull already crowned champion at 416 points Sergio Perez his teammate second on 280 and only 5 points behind Charles Leclerc and the Ferrari on 275 followed by the Mercedes bunch of George Russell who's hanging on to 4th place on 231 points ahead of Lewis Hamilton in the other Mercedes on 216 Red Bull top of the table in the Constructors Championships on 600 96, no big surprise there with 16 wins. But Ferrari still holding on to second place, 487 ahead of Ferrari, Mercedes on 447. And Alpine up in fourth on 153 ahead of McLaren on 146. So heading, heading into the Brazilian Grand Prix, just very briefly, uh, Sarah, there's still a bit to race for. There's still, you know, a lot of the seats are already decided. You know, the, the driver's championship is decided. But Brazil is always exciting. It's, it's got that track. It's got that history about it. You'd like to think that we'll have, you know, with only a couple of races to go, um, that Brazil will, will stand up to its usual historic self as being one of the most exciting. Yeah, I hope so. Like you said, there's, you know, so much history of the sport there. Um, and I think... It's it's always a very special one for both the drivers and the fans. There's generally like some pretty speaking of Sky Sports, there's generally some pretty good segments uh, and stuff like that of you know driving old cars and and things like that around the track. So I think definitely something to look forward to. It uh, it usually delivers. So hopefully we'll get a good race this time around. Let's hope so indeed. Uh, we look forward to your analysis and your forensic uh, analysis as always. Sarah, newly married Sarah, I'm going to call you now for the next few weeks uh, <laughs> on the big red bench. But once again, thanks once again for joining us and breaking down the Mexican GP and everything going on in the paddock. And we will talk to you again next week. Absolutely. Thanks, sir. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Monster Hockey PRO Graham Catchball rejoins the Big Red Bench to talk about a big weekend of Interpros coming up involving under-16, 18 and 21 Munster teams against Connacht. A Munster Senior League update where Ashton beats Church of Ireland 4-2 and UCC remain unbeaten and a preview of National Cup competitions taking place this weekend involving some Munster clubs. A busy period as ever in Munster women's hockey so there's only one man to turn to and that's the PRO Graham Catchball who joins us here on the Big Red Bench to review another action-packed week and look ahead to a very important uh, number of games in the Irish Senior Cup and in the Irish Hockey Trophy. Graham, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench. How are you? 
Good now, Jar. Thanks for having me again. Great to have you back on. Let's start with the Interpros because this Sunday, uh, Munster are taking on Connacht at under 16, under 18 and under 21 level in a very busy weekend down in Limerick. And the under 18s for Munster have been having a very, very good season thus far. Yeah, the, the the under 18s are going great at the moment. They're they're two wins from two at the moment, so they're they're, they're joint top with with Leinster with a game in hand, and that game in hand, I suppose, is is this weekend against against Connacht. So we're hoping for a good result against Connacht. Um, we have a good uh, good track record against them in the past, um, and hopefully a bit of a home crowd in, in Limerick will help. Um, the quality of Interpros, I mean, you're, th- th- this is a real, again, on the pathway for, for players and for girls looking to make it you know, a little bit further with their clubs and to move on and eventually, hopefully, at, at international level. How important is it, I suppose, not so much the results, especially when it comes to 16s, but the consistency of performance and that girls get used to playing at this level? Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose um, it, it really is with a view to, to getting girls on those, on those Irish, our Irish teams um, particularly, at, I suppose, under eighteen level, it, it's really a, a case of trying to, you know, uh, get them used to that level. I suppose some of them will be playing with their clubs at that level already, but, but for, for some of the players, I suppose this will be the the highest standard that they will they will play throughout the throughout the season. And really, it's about getting them used to that. I suppose with a view to getting them into an Irish side, um, and certainly for for some girls, that the next step after, I suppose. Uh, an Ireland under eighteen team, a lot of them will be breaking into the senior panel. So, you know, it really is prepping them for the for the for the real you know the real te- test ahead of getting into that senior panel. Indeed. So in Limerick this coming weekend, Munster taking on Connacht, as we said, across three different age groups, under 16, under 18 and under 21 in the Irish Interpros. Lots to look forward to and we'll review those, uh, how those games went and who played well in next week's edition of the Big Red Bench. We move to the Munster Senior League, Graeme, um, and one of the standout results, I suppose, from this weekend of interest, certainly to Munster women's hockey. Ashton beating Church of Ireland 4-2 uh, is the one that has stood out for you, um, but it still uh, hasn't altered the fact that UCC remain Beaten. Yeah, so so uh, I suppose last weekend was a uh, was was a real um, humdinger of an affair between Ashton and and Church of Ireland, and the the game I suppose started at a, a frenetic pace with Ashton taking the, the lead early. See uh, if I pegged them back by the by the end of the first quarter, um, but then Ashton really pulled away actually in the third quarter um, with with three quick goals. Um, see if I did, did pull one or two, you know, pulled one back in the in the fourth quarter, probably threatened to, to to nearly get a third to make a grandstand finish, but but Ashton dug deep to to, to keep it at four two. Um, it does make things very very interesting in in Monster Division One at the moment. So we have a situation where where UCC are now the only unbeaten side in the in the league, and they have one or two games in hand. Um, Cork Harlequins currently top the league um, with twelve points. And then we have UCC, Ashton, and CFI all in nine points. So it's a really close, um, a, 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 I suppose, close league this year. And um, some, some, I suppose, really exciting games will be coming up before Christmas as well, um, with the, with the, with the likes of CI playing Bandon and and Ashton playing Bandon as well, who who are still in the reckoning as well, kind of on the chasing pack. Um, and we also have a, a really big game coming up in the nineteenth between CFI and UCC, which is always a always a really good game. 
Excellent stuff. And again, we'll check in on those and how those games uh, go over the coming weeks here on the Big Red Bench. But fantastic to see, as you said, such an exciting Munster Women's Senior League going ahead this uh, or taking place this year and making for some excellent hockey as well. Now we turn our attention to the National Cup competitions this coming weekend because there's a few Munster teams still left in both the Irish Senior Cup and the Irish Hockey Trophy, Graham. That's right. So it's the third round of the Irish Senior Cup uh, this weekend. Um, so Church of Ireland, um, I remember you spoke to Alex a couple of weeks ago, Alex O'Grady. They travelled to to Avoca um, in, in in Dublin. So um, a game that they they definitely have a good chance of, of coming away with a victory here. So um, the draw may be somewhat favourable, hopefully for them. So so hoping to see if I can come away with uh, with a victory there to get them into the into what will be, will be the quarterfinals actually. Um, uh, Catholic Institute have a tough um, assignment. Um, they're at home to Pembroke on Saturday. Um, so Catholic Institute and Pembroke were were toe to toe last year for the for the EY one league. So it'll be another interesting one. Um, Catholic Institute have beaten Pembroke already in the league this year. So it was uh, it was a very close affair, and I expect this game will be be equally as uh, as, as close. Um, the last uh, monster team then in the Irish Senior Cup would be um, Harlequins, and they travelled to to Old Alex in Dublin, which would be a very tough um, tough game for for a young um, Harlequins side. Um, Old Alex, of course, are in EY One and are are going well this season, so that will be a tough assignment for them. Um, in the Irish Hockey tro- Trophy, then we have um, Ashton at home to Mosley. Um, Ashton, who, who we've mentioned already, are going very strongly this year. Um, Mosley coming down from the north um, so a bit of a journey in their legs no doubt um, Saturday morning Ashton will be hoping to catch them cold um, and, and and likewise then Bandon host uh, Coleraine um, so Coleraine makes the long journey down to Bandon and hopefully Bandon will be able to have enough in the tank to to, to over, over you know overcome Coleraine uh, so that is in the second round of the Irish Hockey Trophy so again um, hopefully Munster teams are progressing um, to, to, to the next round um, and uh, yeah, we're wishing them all the best this weekend. Excellent. As we said, five clubs there uh, involved in uh, Senior Cup and in the Irish Hockey Trophies you've just outlined for us, Graham. So a lot of interest in this weekend. Uh, and we had a great chat uh, with Alex, as we said a while back, just about Church of Ireland and how well they were going. And if they can pull off a victory away to Avoca, um, that would get them into the quarterfinals, I think you said, which would be a fantastic achievement. We wish all the Munster women's hockey teams all the best in this weekend senior and senior cup and hockey trophy competitions uh, that's a wrap for another busy week of Munster women's hockey Graham we'll have you back on next week on the big red bench once again to take us through how the interpros went at 16, 18 and 21 level and all the latest from the senior league and the cups but for now to Graham Catchball Piero of Munster women's hockey thank you very much for joining us on the big red bench thanks a million Jack. that's it for another big red bench women in sport podcast Remember to subscribe to The Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune in to The Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and Valerie Wheeler between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow The Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM.